Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we talk about your 2-8 and eight Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the truly unfortunate Killian Hayes injury, we talk about the defensive adjustment the team has made to remain competitive, and we talk about Seiku Dumbuya's minute minute load. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How you doing, Ben? Laz, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good, man. It's It's been a week, though. Gotta say, we're here to talk about the Pistons and everything else that happened. But uh, hey, it was not a terrible week for the Pistons. So uh, one win um, and some competitive losing to pretty decent teams. I'll take that. How are you doing? Yeah. I'm doing good. Yeah, it was a, it was a it was a weird week for the for the country and for the Detroit Pistons. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to start by asking you, like, what you know how are how are you feeling about the team? Last week you uh, <laughs> you went off a little at the beginning, and it's like, yeah, that was, actually that wasn't bad. So let, let's start off with that. Where are you right now? Yeah. Well, I'm going to start with the good, and that's Jeremy Grant. Um, he is blooming and blossoming into. Uh, really an all-star caliber scorer, which is pretty outstanding to see. Um, you know, he's still learning. You can tell, like, when he gets into the paint, he's a little bit unorthodox. He jumps off the wrong foot a lot, which is something I've noticed. And he almost managed to, like, posterize Derek Favors with one of the strangest almost dunks <laughs> I think I've ever seen in my life today against the Jazz. But, yeah, Jeremy Grant, wow, he's he's really fun to watch offensively. And, uh you know, as skeptical as I was, he's definitely won me over. And uh, I'm really happy about that. Um, second thing, man, Killian Hayes, what a bummer to hear about, um, you know, what his injury is. It seems like the Pistons have been pretty much closing the ranks in terms of any information really getting out. We can we can dive into the details as, as we talk more, but bummed about that. Um, you know, and last week I was feeling... I just was feeling like the, it was it was futile losing, right? It was um, guys getting buried on the bench and, um, you know, not being particularly thrilled about that. You know, there wasn't a big change to that this week. Um, I, I think Casey has really settled in on a comfort level with Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bey. And uh, I think he's going to make Seku do something pretty significant to, to show him that um, you know, in Casey's mind, he deserves minutes. I don't agree with it. I could harp on it every week, and then this, this podcast would get really boring really fast because I'd just be <laughs> a broken record. But uh, hey, I am happy to see that, you know, even today, Isaiah Stewart was playing big minutes in the fourth quarter. Uh, Sadiq Bey was playing big minutes in the fourth quarter. Uh, and I think both of those guys have earned it. Um, so that's really, really good to say. So, um, you know, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with the Pistons right now. It was. Um, 
it's kind of like the optimal tank in some ways in that they have been competitive, but not quite good enough to win. Um, they're just unfortunately about 10 years late to the party, <laughs> given the way the lottery odds work now. Um, they are, I think, tied for the worst record in the NBA now with Washington, if I if I looked at the schedule and results correctly. Um, so they're cruising. They're, feels right. yeah. they're cruising to be terrible. Um, it's just too bad it didn't happen a few years ago. How about you, Laz? Yeah. How are you doing with this team? I mean, you you pointed this out during the Phoenix game, which is the the one win that they had this week. Is uh, you know how 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 uh, you know I was complimenting how Delon Wright played down the stretch. Delon Delon, I'm a, I said I wasn't going to do that this week. <laughs> Delon Wright was playing down the stretch of that game, and I called him like not Derrick Rose, and that meant he uh, contributed to winning. And you pointed out rightly. And like also like being not Killian Hayes was also <laughs> probably good for for actually winning that game, and so it just made me think about how you know with everything that uh, with the three games they lost this week and the one game they won this week, you we and we're fighting a lot about rotations and like which young kids are playing and which guys aren't. Um, it makes me uh, feel a little bit worse that like we're not doing any of this without. Killian Hayes, right? Like Killian Hayes was supposed to be the guy who was taken at the top of the draft to be like a, a potential impact player for this team. And we have guys who are making an impact on the team, but not in the, not like at the level uh, I personally at least expected out of Killian in the future. And so, like, that, that's kind of the thing that's like been really uh, interesting for me this week. Like, I, I feel like with a lot of the, I feel like Dwayne has like figured some stuff out uh, with this team. We see a lot of like Sadiq Bay and Svi Mikhailuk minutes together. Um, there see we see a lot of like of uh, elimination of what made Jeremy Grant less efficient in the preseason and in like the first couple of regular season games. We've seen a like de-emphasis of uh, Blake Griffin being like the only central thing the Pistons do offensively down the stretch of games that are like relatively close. And I would and like all of those things I think are beneficial, but you know, the one piece of that is missing. It's like, where are these like fourth quarter reps for Killian Hayes? Right. We, we, and you know, we haven't actually talked about uh, his injury since it happened. Uh, I think, I think, yeah, it happened on Monday and we recorded on, uh, on Sunday. So the big news of the week, he, uh, the Pistons number seven overall pick Killian Hayes has a labral tear in his hip. So that's a little piece of cartilage uh, in the hip socket, essentially. We haven't gotten a report on how severe the tear is, um, but we did get a report from old friend of the Pistons, Vincent Goodwill, that there's no other like structural damage around the hip, which is, which is good news. Um, the two options for that injury are rehab, which is four to six weeks of just rehab and seeing how it progresses and heals. And then, or you could have surgery. Uh, which is four to six months, which pretty much eliminates the the rest of the regular season for Killian. Um, and then there's rehab, of course, on top of that after the recovery from the surgery. So, so Ben, what what do you think we end up seeing like Killian Hayes like try to do? You think he tries to come back this year, or do you think he uh, eventually elects for the surgery? Well, I think every young player who wants to compete is going to want to come back. I mean, there's just no question about it. Anyone who wants to be a competitor at, at the highest caliber they can, no matter what level that is, is going to want to come back. But look, I really hope the Pistons are patient 
there's no season to salvage, right? With or without <laughs> Killian Hayes. Yes. They're, they're, they're two and eight. They're not, they're not making the playoffs. There's no playoff push happening. Please, please, please take your time with Killian Hayes. And the last bit I'll add here is if surgery ends up being necessary to get to a full recovery, like it's much better to have it at 19 than it would be at 26 or 27, right? Whatever it was that Isaiah Thomas most recently had this, this kind of injury, right? Your body is just better able to recover when you're this young. So patience, let's, let's just be patient. Let's not try to rush him back. He was, look, he was struggling mightily anyway. No sense bringing him back at 80% or 90% having that play itself out and then having to get, you know, surgery later down the road because he didn't get it fully taken care of this time. So I'm going to advocate for patience and, and hope he's he's uh, mature enough to, to deal with that at just 19 years old. Yeah. I On one hand, I do think, like, because he's 19, you can definitely see where he's like, I'm young. Like, I can definitely, like, take this head on and um, and recover quickly and it won't be an issue. Um, but on the other hand, like, it is his first year. He wasn't playing very well. And you can easily say, like, if you like this is if you're going to have this crop up again at 25, unless you elect for surgery, it's probably just better to get the surgery. And that was something that, you know, in my like limited research of what, you know, the uh, remedies for torn hip labrums like were, it did seem kind of like this is one of those injuries that just keeps getting. Uh, it keeps deteriorating. It keeps getting worse until you elect to get the surgery and get it fully healed. Um, and so it it makes too much sense to to not see that be be the plan eventually. And the only thing that's giving me a little bit of uh, of not hope, but like the only thing that's making me think that that's not what uh, they're electing to do right away is that maybe the severity of the tear is just really is just really small, and so that they're hopeful. Um, you know, it'll it won't be a long term issue at all if he chooses to rehab through it. But if the you know if the tear is like of any significance, I just I think it's better for for him and the team to just know like you know moving forward we don't have to worry about that. I think about all those times, all those conversations we had about like Luke Kennard's knees, mm-hmm. right, and how that impacted how we thought about his future. Um, I I wouldn't want like the the specter of Killian Hayes's hip to to hang over his future in a similar way for this Pistons team. Well, I'm thinking about it. if he were in college right now, this would be like a sophomore red shirting, right? Like this is not, right. this is not a big deal for him to miss some time because he needs to, to get right. No, exactly. Exactly. All right, Ben, you also mentioned Jeremy Grant. Uh, I asked you last week if he could keep it up. He not only kept it up, he's playing better than ever. He scored a career high 31 points uh, against the bucks. He scored two, he had two 30 point games this week. Um, He's he had a thirty point outburst in a win over the Phoenix Suns. So, so real simple question, Ben: Is Jeremy Grant the best player on this team? Yeah, I think he certainly is. And I think if I'm right, that it was back to back thirty one and tens, right? I mean, rebounding was the thing that I was a little skeptical about. I think he put up back to back thirty one and tens, which is all the more impressive. Yeah, I mean, I think he's absolutely the real deal. I don't think we're seeing a flash in the pan sort of uh, scoring outburst. He's got. Tremendous length, um, very good quickness. And look, he just gets by people, and then then he's able to get over people when he gets to the rim. So I, I think his scoring is absolutely the real deal. You know, defensively, the, the team as a whole is really 
struggling to figure out what a defensive identity it's going to have. We saw the switch to zone this year, which mm-hmm. I think, or not this year, these last two games, I think that de-emphasizes some of his defensive skills a little bit. Um, you know, but that's okay. It's, it's a team-oriented strategy there. So, yeah, I'm liking it. I think the only chink in the armor that I'm seeing right now is he's not a very good facilitator yet, right? I mean, he and it, maybe he doesn't need to be right now. Maybe there's just not enough guys to pass to that could realistically be a problem he's dealing with. But, yeah, he's the best player on the team. Um, right now, I mean, if, if the season ended next week, he's the MIP, right? He's He is the most improved player, I think, by a fairly – wide margin, at least in my opinion. Unfortunately, he's doing it on a really bad team, which never helps. But I mean, you just look at his numbers, scoring still extremely efficient, efficiently getting to the line um, and, and rebounding. I, I think he's he's the complete package right now and absolutely the best player the Pistons have. Yeah. And I think the playmaking is something that we're, we keep seeing like flashes of it. It just never gets sustained, right? Like today he had that, uh, you know, the 40 foot outlet pass to Sadiq Bay yeah, for a yeah, transition right. layup. Um, he's made like, I don't have my, uh, running game notes in front of me because that'd be too many words. And I don't uh, want to spend time on the podcast, just like scrolling through everything, but I've been somewhat impressed with his ability to make, um, like very simple on reads on the move, which is something that we don't see from everybody. And especially from a guy who like, didn't have this usage and this type of usage in the past, it's, uh, it's impressive to see, um, I do think you're right that defensively kind of de-emphasizes what he offers, but I wonder if that it's, it seems like that's just the good strategic choice just because, you know, making Jeremy Grant a worse defensive player, but making every, putting everybody else in a, a more, uh, a better position to succeed. And, and especially like Blake Griffin, putting him in a better position to succeed, I think, uh, just like elevates the team so much that it, it's worth just de-emphasizing what uh, Jeremy brings on that end. You know, uh, the Pistons allowed, what? what is this, less than 40 points in the second half of the Utah game. And uh, some of that was zoned. Some of that was just, like, uh, adjustments on that end. Uh, and so, yeah, like, it's it's pretty, it's pretty easy to say that Jeremy Grant's been the most improved player uh, we've seen so far. I hope he keeps this up the entirety of the season be back-to-back most improved player candidates for the Pistons in in two years which would be really impressive um and the other thing is I hope uh, like the the NBA at large is definitely like taking notice of what Jeremy Grant is doing uh, offensively because he ta- he came from a team that was contending uh, at the highest levels of the Western Conference and so I hope that's like enough to carry him through uh, all-star voting Right, like that, and I know they're not going to have like an actual All Star game this year, but uh, it would be really cool to start off like year one of what's looking to be like a two and a half, three year rebuild with still like, hey, like we have a twenty six year old All Star on the team. All right, Ben. The uh, next thing I want to talk about was I was Blake Griffin. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, Blake Griffin. Yeah. I mean, he's looked better this week, right? He's doing a lot more to actually attack the rim. We saw him cut to the basket without the ball twice today, which is like more than I can ever remember happening uh, previously for this Pistons team. Uh, He shot uh, like six free throws in back-to-back games. He only shot three free throws tonight um but he's operating and facilitating more out of the post more as a passer 
than uh, an, a finisher and a driver. He had five assists to only one turnover uh, tonight. And we saw him kind of say after the Phoenix game, like, hey, I told the coaches, like, it's time for I need to, like, post up more. I need to um, be more aggressive in that manner. Um, we saw him. Uh, we also talked a little bit about the zone, how that's an adjustment for him on the defensive end. So, so Ben, like with with all those things, like kind of in mind, like is it possible? It's is it possible that Blake is just like playing his way into shape, and that we will eventually see a, a better version of Blake Griffin as the season goes on? I think what we saw in the Phoenix game is probably the version of Blake Griffin that is the best case scenario for this season, and. I'm basing that on two things. The first one is just the obvious decline in athleticism. Yeah, uh, He's just not as explosive. I mean, the, the period. It's just not there for him uh, athletically. And then the second thing is, and I think this is a function of the explosiveness, is just, just settling for so many three-point shots. Now, you know, if he goes out and shoots six for eight, obviously he can have a whole bunch of points in any given night. But I, I think that that Phoenix team, like not that he's going to duplicate that box score, right? Like every night or something like that, but that role. And, and I think he played that role again today. He just didn't score quite as well. I think that role makes a lot of sense. You're right. I think in the post, he is looking to facilitate at least as much as he's looking to score, which is obviously different from what we saw two seasons ago. Um, and I think when he's looked to score, he's actually looked, you know, he's looked pretty decent. He's got, um, you know, again, not explosive moves to the basket, uh, but very crafty scoring. And he, um, I, I think the point that comes to mind is when he, he just made a really simple little pump fake in the lane after catching a pass, Derek favors about jumped out of the gym and Blake had an and one like, so he's just smart, right? Like he's, he's played a long time. He's got a high IQ. He knows how to, um, maximize the tools that he still has. And I think what's interesting, and I noted this, I noticed this particularly against Phoenix, and then it happened again in the fourth quarter against Utah, is uh, teams still instinctively double team him, mm-hmm. which I, I think helps the Pistons, right? Because Blake is not trying to force his own shot in those situations. He's doing a really good job of kicking out and, and finding other people when he gets double teamed. And uh, I, I think that's really helped. So, you know, is he rounding into form? Yes, I think he is. But I think, you know, final form Blake Griffin is probably just a tier or two less than we've seen uh, just as recently as two seasons ago. Yeah, Blake had 16 and 12 on against Phoenix at 16 points on 13 shots um, and five assists to two turnovers. So you talk about the playmaking out of the post um, and you talk about teams kind of instinctively still double teaming him because he's Blake Griffin. Like that was, that was the point I was going to make. Like you saw, <laughs> well, especially with Phoenix and Utah, they have a lot of like smaller wing players, especially um, like when he's been, when you, you have like Royce O'Neal or uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, or even like a guy like Cameron Johnson, who like doesn't have this the strength, or, or Jay Crowder, um, the, you know he still uh, forces he still forces help in a way that enables him to like lean on his best skill right now, which is his playmaking. And so like I think if that continues to be the case, he can be successful. Um, I'm also like I, I hope the the off ball stuff attacking the rim contributes. I feel like maybe if uh, maybe he feels like he's able to uh, absorb contact a little bit uh, easier if he doesn't have the ball. If he's like on the catch 
and just like taking strides to the rim instead of like dribbling. Uh, maybe that maybe that's a, a psychological thing. Maybe that's like an actual physical thing that he can, uh, you know, explode off one foot a little bit easier. But uh, I do hope that he continues to try and attack the the basket because, like you talked about, the insane ratio of three point shots um, is just like not something that's going to be sustainable for him uh, long term. He was only one for five from three against Phoenix. I think he was what like one for one for seven today against the jazz from three. And so like, yeah, he's uh, he's got to continue to try and be aggressive and attack and attack the basket and force help and, and lean on his playmaking instead of his scoring. I think the, the transition for him is interesting, right? Like Jeremy Grant is this team's best scoring threat and he has to kind of acknowledge that, mm-hmm. but he is, but he is their best like playmaker, uh, which means like he should still get better looks or he should still be able to get like looks down the, the stretch of close games. Um, but like, yeah, I think you, you see a little bit of that with uh, the way the team, for example, like ran their offense in uh, the later parts in, in overtime of the Phoenix game. They didn't run everything exclusively through Blake. We saw tonight against Utah, the the team ran a lot of their early fourth quarter offense through Blake. Um, and, you know, then they subbed him out at like the seven ish minute mark. So he doesn't play all 12 minutes of the fourth quarter. Sub him back in at like the five ish minute mark. And from there, they like continue to do like some DHO stuff for him, but less uh, about him like making plays out of the post. And so it, I think uh, the transition from like highest paid player instead of like best player on the team is a, is a tough one for a guy of Blake's stature, like mentally. But uh, it's something I think he's. Uh, I think he's something he seems to be like willing to to do to let Jeremy Grant kind of shine. We haven't heard anything like, "Oh, Blake's mad." Like Jeremy Grant is getting all all these shots and points. Like I, I don't think I don't think he cares about that. If we're being perfectly honest, oh, I agree. I think he's handling it gracefully. And look, that's not easy to do. It it could go differently. It's happened differently in the past with other players and other franchises. So, you know, as, look as a fan, as as difficult as it is to watch it. Like, I mean, I, th- I think I have a tremendous amount of respect for the way he's gone about it so far, and he, he deserves credit for that. Yeah. I mean, speaking of uh, handling things gracefully, though, <laughs> it takes us to uh, Seku Dumbuya. Seku's uh, averaging roughly 12 minutes a night. Uh, that will go down since he only played, I believe, like six minutes tonight. Uh, yeah, he played five minutes tonight. Um, the the internet is kind of furious, kind of mad. He's not playing more. And th- this is something that you've actually talked about, right? Like you talked about this at the top of the podcast. Um, you know, a lot of minutes for veteran players is something you've been on uh, about on, on previous podcasts. Uh, not a lot of minutes for Seku is something that you you brought up at the beginning of this podcast. So, so Ben, what do you think Seku has to do in order to earn more minutes? Because I think that's the thing that's kind of frustrating people. It's like he's not always playing terribly but he's not really playing like minutes it's hard to get into a rhythm yeah i think that's the thing he has he has a very short leash um you know just as a just as a point of comparison that i realize isn't 100 percent fair but just to make the point like Blake Griffin's defense is so poor (laughs) that they (laughs) have that's so unfair to Seku though like Right. Like it's so bad that they had to switch to a zone, right? Like, and so you could just imagine, like, if you're Seku, you're watching Blake Griffin just get annihilated, right? And you know, when you're in the game, if you make any one of those 10 mistakes that Blake Griffin makes over his 30 minutes of play, 
you're going to get yanked almost instantly, right? Like it's, it's, it's gotta be frustrating even if we haven't seen that bubble up to the surface yet. Um, you know, to be fair to Dwayne Casey, Seiku hasn't had a game where he's just been super impressive. Right? He, he usually does something good, but you never really know what it's going to be. And it's a little bit unpredictable. And like today he played his five or six minutes or whatever. And I can't, I watched every minute of this game super closely. I couldn't even tell you what, what he did in a positive way to affect the game. So he, he just has these moments where he'll have an entire stretch, right? A five or six minute stretch where he just is invisible. He just doesn't do anything. So, um, you know, personally, I'd like to see him get his stretch each half, right? Because, you know, maybe one of those stretches is going to, be the thing that that breaks him out of that sort of invisibility funk um you know the other thing of it is he's playing really he's playing behind three guys who are really playing pretty well um you know blake griffin well he hasn't really played pretty well as a body of work but he's blake griffin yeah yeah (laughs) right jeremy grant best player on the team we already talked about and then i think to some degree maybe he's fighting with sadiq bay for some of those minutes where they're, you know, maybe going situational O for D and that kind of stuff toward the end of games. So, you know, he hasn't outplayed any of those guys. So um, in defense of Dwayne Casey, it's not like it's really easy to pull Jeremy Grant out of the game or Blake Griffin out of the game and, and play Seku. So, yeah, this, this is the rub. Um, you've got two super young players in Killian Hayes and Seku Nimbuya. Neither one of them has performed up to expectations so far, I don't think you'd say. Um and Seku, like, skill-wise, he just, in a lot of ways, he looks like he did at the end of last season, right? He doesn't look like he's made any obvious jumps. Um, so this this is definitely a disappointment and a disappointing season so far for me. No, absolutely. I I do, like, think that he had, he does he does things, but like you said, it's never, like, the same thing twice, right? It's like one night he hits like a wide open pick and pop three, um, and like that's like the big the big thing he does in his five minutes. Uh, the tonight it was uh, he he drew some free throws and he made like a pretty he made a pretty good closeout uh, on on a corner three. And I was actually like watching Seku's minutes intently because I knew we were going to be talking about this. Um, he got uh, he got a pretty tough offensive foul call, um, and like that was that was basically it. the The zone doesn't do him any favors. Since like if the if the thing you're worried about with him is like his inattentiveness, his ability to like really only care about like a third of the court, um, like does wonders for that. But also if like nothing is happening in that third of the court, it doesn't really give him the ability to impact the floor defensively, which is what we saw in the preseason that was so exciting, right? Mm-hmm. He was like, you yeah. know, getting steals and making blocks on, on defense, um, and turning that into offense and, and transition. Um so yeah, it's like you would if he did the same thing every night, right? If like every night he came in um and got up like three threes and made a couple, made one, like made one one night, made two the next night, like that then I'd be like, okay, that's the thing, like we can rely on we can put Seku in the lineup when we like need some floor spacing. If he came in every night and grabbed like six boards in five minutes, you're like, okay, like th- we can put uh, we could put Seku like next to a guy like uh, Mason Plumlee, who's not the strongest rebounder in the world, in in some sort of like weird bench lineups, and like have him go attack the glass. If he just like drew free throws at an insane rate, 
you could say like, hey, like, okay, we're gonna run some, uh, like, we're gonna give Seku some more like on ball possessions and and in the post or something, and let him like draw free throws like that. But because he just shows different elements of his game every night, and it, it, it but the elements that he doesn't show kind of like wavers. It's it's weird to know like what he's doing well and like what he needs to do in order to gain more minutes. Um, and you know, like you said, the being behind Jeremy Grant and Blake Griffin on the depth chart and being, you know, less uh, pro ready immediately than Sadiq Bay has been tough on the minutes. Um, we're going to, we're going to talk about a little bit about Sadiq Bay later. So I don't want to get too much into Sadiq, but uh, yeah, I, I do think just like the, th- when, when Sadiq comes in the game, you know, he's going to get his shots up and you know, some of them are going to go in, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, if we had an established role for Seku. Uh, in that lane, in a, maybe not in that exact lane, but in a similar thing. If we knew what we were getting every night when Seku came in, I do think we'd see more out of him. I hope we see more out of him. The, and the other thing is, right, like, I think the desire to be competitive in a lot of these games, night in, night out, is good overall. But, like, you know, if we saw more 20-point blowouts, like, I think we'd see more more Seku Dumbuya. Um, the, we didn't see the the as much Seku in the second uh, Milwaukee game, which, which was a blowout because he was playing so terribly in that game. But like, I, I do think in an ideal scenario, like that is where you would see more of him in games. The Pistons are losing by like 15 with five minutes left. You just like, let him go out there and run, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next thing is Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson has looked like he's been pressing a little bit. He's started both games since his return from an ankle injury that, again, like looked really bad. So I'm I'm glad he's on the court and playing, but he hasn't really been as effective. He hasn't been as explosive as he was in the past. He looked like he was really pressing to get his own offense and his own shot against Phoenix, the team that kind of gave up on him and his former team. And I can see why he'd want to do that. Um, And tonight against the Jazz, he just kind of looked off he was he was gambling a little bit on donovan mitchell uh are you are you concerned about what we've seen from josh jackson post-injury ben a little bit um a little bit in the sense that it makes you wonder if the the first handful of games were a little bit of a flash in the pan i think there are a number of people who kind of said yeah this is going to be sustainable they made the arguments for why they think the scoring would stay sustainable and those kinds of things and look i'm not saying the season is over for Josh Jackson, but I think your, your observation is completely correct. Um, to me, it looked like in his first several games pre-injury, things were just coming very naturally to him within the rhythm of the game. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, trying to force things to happen for him. They were just happening and he was cashing in on opportunities since he's been back to me. It's looked like the opposite way around. Like it looks like he's worried about trying to justify um his minutes in his coach's mind and so he he's making plays that he's or he's attempting to make plays that he doesn't really need to to make you mentioned gambling against donovan mitchell there's one that jumps out at me in particular um now that you've mentioned that so yeah i think you know just being disrupted when you're finally playing well is a difficult thing to deal with mentally um physically look ankle sprains as i talked about take take time to heal so it could be that he's just in some pain and that pain is distracting him Uh, and I think yeah you're right he's just pressing a little bit and he's just gotta be a little more patient let the rhythm come back to him 
Yeah, that makes me knowing that the the sprain is probably bothering him a little bit makes me less worried because I feel like uh, if he's able to stay healthy for a couple of weeks and not re-sprain it, will we will see the guy he was earlier this season again, and I'm excited for that. Right? He, he yeah. wasn't going to shoot sixty. Sorry, God. Well, I was going to call it one more thing, and so you mentioned Delon, right? I think Delon is quickly getting a reputation for dribbling the air out of the basketball a little bit. Um, thinking about him starting next to Killian, that's that's kind of a stark contrast, right? Like Killian was very quick to pass and, and didn't do a lot of over dribbling. So maybe that's something to just sort of put a pin in that and see if maybe being paired with Delon isn't the most natural fit for him. No, that's a good point. I mean, that's going to be tough to replicate. There are now precious <laughs> point guards on the Pistons roster who don't dribble the air out of the ball. Um, so yeah, that's that's going to be tough. And like some regression was expected, right? He wasn't going to shoot sixty percent from two for the entire season, probably. But just the the physical stuff, uh, not looking at quite as explosive. And, and like we talked about the gambling, um, like the gambling seems to me like symptomatic of uh, knowing that like you're not as athletic, and so you're willing to kind of take more risks to cover that. And tonight you just got burned a lot on those risks. And so you hope that makes him a smidge more conservative uh, in the future, or at least just until uh, he gets fully healthy. All right, Ben, uh, Sadiq Bey. We, I promised we'd talk about Sadiq Bey. Let's talk about Sadiq Bey. Uh, he, he is playing 22 minutes a night. Um, we're seeing a, a burgeoning connection between him and Svi Mikhailuk. Uh, the two shooters are finding them they're finding each other really nicely in like semi transition. I noticed this um, in the Milwaukee game and it continued into the Phoenix game. Um, and it would have continued into the jazz game if Svi could have made a shot tonight. <laughs> um, but uh, Bay's a really intelligent player played the uh, played the entire overtime period and down the stretch of the Phoenix game. If I remember correctly, made a couple of huge shots uh, in the overtime period. Uh, ben, what are you, how are you feeling about Sadiq Bay? Well, I didn't expect him to be the best Piston rookie, and I think he is by quite a bit. You got to love Isaiah Stewart and how hard he plays and all those things, but Sadiq is obviously the most NBA ready out of all of them. The fact that his shot is falling and his shot has adapted so quickly is hugely encouraging. He's also so much more physically strong than I realized when I was watching all of his, uh, you know, um, college highlights and college tape and all those sorts of things. I think. One, you know, one thing that's going to be interesting is um, how well is he able to finish inside? Um, there was that nice outlet that you mentioned earlier. Jeremy Grant threw a nice outlet to um, Sadiq Bay and transition. He made a really nice uh, body adjustment in the air uh, to finish without getting swatted by Donovan Mitchell, I believe it was. He was looking for the chase down. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Blake Griffin, I think it was, who said one of the most complete rookies, some, something to that effect in the preseason after they trained together over the summer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm super excited about it. It makes the loss of Luke Kennard, you know, so much easier to deal with. He, he's productive in a very different way than Luke Kennard was, but he's obviously giving him the same kind of shooting. And the thing he doesn't struggle with is confidence and aggressiveness, right? Like if he's open and the ball gets in his hands, you know he's going to shoot it, and it's probably going to be a good shot. So very impressed with Sadiq Bey. Um very excited about his future too, especially if, if that finishing evolves and develops, uh, you know, I think he can be a really, really nice piece. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great point about Luke. I tend to like disassociate the two of them just because the the whole team was like flipped uh, over the course of the off season, and so it's it's even though the the trade was like directly for him, it's easy for me like not to relate the two in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you you think about the the loss of Luke Kennard and what Luke offered as a shooter and a playmaker. But, but didn't necessarily offer on the defensive end. And then you, you think about what Sadiq Bey offers as a shooter and on the defensive end, but not necessarily as a finisher or playmaker. And it, it seems like a somewhat adequate exchange. Uh, it projects to be, maybe we should say, yeah. a somewhat adequate exchange, which is um, something that I like personally didn't expect You know, when, when the trade went down. I didn't think that, you know, I figured Sadiq would be good, but I didn't quite... And I didn't quite imagine he would be this good right away, and him being this good right away makes me feel like there's a there's a chance he gets uh, even better, like relatively quickly with more minutes. Um, the other thing I'll say about Sadiq is that, uh, like we talked a little bit about his issues kind of inside the arc. Uh, we talked about the the nice finish he had in transition today, but he also got really like rudely disrupted by uh, by Gobert, if I'm remembering correctly, around the rim. I think that will that will come. Especially like as you mentioned, he's so strong. I think that you know as he develops and as uh, he gets more used to the NBA game, he'll be able to use his body to carve out space, or he'll be able to use his physicality to draw fouls. And he's a really good free throw shooter. And so I think that if uh, he's able to lean on that, eventually that that's how you get to him having the ball a little bit more in his hands and being able to create using his strength. I'm thinking of it a similar way to a guy like a, like a, like an RJ Barrett does now where you play a little bit of bully ball and uh, just kind of let the, the fouls come or a guy like DeMar DeRozan did in the past, you know, he's his handle would have to get a little bit better to hit that uh, like DeRozan esque, like a body hunting level. But I do think that's like now with that, with as well as he's playing right away, I now think that's like, much more likely within the realm of possibility than I than I thought, you know, pre-draft for Sadiq. All right, Ben. Last big thing I wanted to talk about was Dwayne Casey. So we've been it's been it's been an up and down year for our our, our evaluation of Dwayne Casey. We talked a little bit about like what he's doing with the rotation, what we like and don't like. Um, I, ta- I like some of the on-court, like big picture stuff he's done. We talked about that a little bit earlier, but we, we also like talk about, you know, the, w- the switch to the zone defense, um, but also the, the offense tonight looked uh, relatively typically like unimaginative um, from an offensive perspective. And so like, you, and you've been pretty critical of Dwayne in the past. And so I, t- I wanted to ask you to, what's, what's your temperature on Dwayne Casey right now for this team? Yeah, I, I think, you know, part of my extreme frustration in the first two weeks of the season was partly miscalibrated expectations on my part. I think I was I was really, really hoping that we would see significantly more minutes for, I guess at this point, it's mostly just Seku. Um, those other, you know, like Isaiah Stewart has carved out a niche and, and Sadiq Bay obviously has as well as we just discussed. So I think I've recalibrated a little bit. Um, philosophically, I think, you know, he and I have just sort of different understandings of what it means to develop young guys. It could be that, you know, behind the scenes, obviously we don't know what happens. It could be that he is communicating with Sacred and Booyah extremely clearly 
what he wants to see out of him and why the leash is so short, or at least in my opinion, why it, it, it seems to be so short. Um, you know, philosophically, I'm of the opinion that that's what you need to, you need to make that clear. Um, and what, what I see that frustrates me is I don't, feel like the shortness of the leash is consistent from player to player. And if I were a young player in that scenario, I would be confused and frustrated. Um, having said all of that, um, I forget who it was who pointed this out to me on Twitter this week, but whoever it was, thank you. You know, Casey does have a pretty good track record of developing young players. So, you know, he's an NBA head coach and I'm not. He's getting paid to do it. He clearly has a method to the madness, even if it doesn't come through. We saw that with Christian Wood. It just took a long time to get there. Um, you know, hopefully that's going to happen with, um, you know, Seiko Jumboya as well. Hopefully Seiko's going to blossom and and we're going to be able to understand what the long game was the whole time. In the moment, though, um, you know, it's a little frustrating. Uh, I do worry a little bit about Blake Griffin's minutes. Like he played a whole lot of minutes against Phoenix. Um I wish they weren't so intent on on all of these games being super close. But having said that, we've just seen two games in a row, Phoenix and Utah, where they were in a humongous hole, twenty like twenty three points. And I think today it was up to twenty six, maybe in the first first half. Uh, and he's managed to to rally the troops and have two a win and a loss, both of them very competitive. So yeah, I mean, hot and cold up and down. That's a good way to describe where I'm at with Dwayne Casey in terms of X's and O's. I I think actually that's probably the thing about his coaching that I like the most. You've pointed out the Jeremy Grant um, usage and creativity. We don't need to rehash all that. Um, Obviously he's got Blake Griffin bought into a more secondary role. That's not an easy thing to accomplish either. So certainly things he's doing right. um, You know, but I certainly feel the frustration of other fans who are wanting more out of a, out of a guy like Sekou Dumbuya. We just, we want to see who he is, right? And this season would seem like the season to do that. And in five to six minutes a game, just ugh, that's, that's frustrating to deal with win or lose. So yeah, that's my evaluation this week of, of Dwayne Casey. No, but I think, I think that's entirely fair. Um, I think that, uh, bringing up uh, getting Blake to take a secondary role uh, in in the offense pretty quickly, I think is a is a big feather in the cap. Like you said, um, Blake very easily could have been like, "Hey, no, like I'm I'm Blake Griffin, and this team sucks. Like I need the ball <laughs> all, all the time. And if you want to be competitive, you have to play through me. And that you know that's not a terrible argument for for Blake. Um, but uh, but like having him accept kind of that um, secondary offensive role, I think is a is a great thing. Um, figuring out how to use Jeremy Grant is something they're like still in the process of. But what they've done so far has worked, so I think that's been pretty good. The adjustment to the zone defense to to hide Blake Griffin in particular on defense, I think is that's that was a good adjustment. Um, but I do think there's uh, I, I do share some of your frustrations with the rotation, right? Like. Uh, I like Wayne Ellington too, but like there's even, even in a game where Svi like didn't shoot very well, like who cares, man? Like there's no reason to put, to put Wayne in the game. Um, I think he's been hampered a little bit by the injury to, to Killian Hayes. Um, I imagine that much like how we saw uh, the offense be designed around what Jeremy Grant does best. 
I imagine that if Killian were still playing, he would be figuring out what situations best to utilize Killian in. And so we'd be seeing a little bit of that as well. Um, and but for now, like we're resigned to, you know, DeLon. I had to pause DeLon, right? <laughs> and, and Frank Jackson and Derek Rose uh, at the point guard position. And that kind of limits um, what you can do from an offensive creativity standpoint. Um, I do like that. Uh, he he mentioned kind of pregame that like the center rotation he's going to play Jaleel Okafor. He said, uh, you know, we we brought in like Mason to teach the guards. Uh, Isaiah's have been like playing really uh, energetically, and we have to keep Jaleel in, engaged. And it's like, oh, that kind of sucks. Like Jaleel's kind of already mad that he's lost his job to a rookie, right. understandably. And it's like so like handling some of those like in the locker room uh, things. Uh, I think like. That's again, like that's a, a good point for Casey. Um, like I'm sure they they promised Jaleel, like, hey, you'll be the backup center, and he's kind of already lost his job because Stewart's playing better, and so like having that uh, be uh, an issue like right away is something that you don't want to you don't want to like. Uh, it's not that it would like sink your season, but you don't want that to like fester, and so uh, you, you have to think about him saying stuff like that in the media as well. And so yeah, like you know, with with all the stuff that he's juggling, like I'm not surprised that Seku is uh kind of falling by the wayside but that is kind of the one big uh question mark for this team it's led some people to kind of openly start predicting that Seku will be traded uh at the deadline i don't think that's gonna happen like right now no i'm sure i mean like oklahoma city for one right any any bad team would definitely like be willing to take a look at, at Seku. um but like I'm, I'm pretty sure troy weaver like can still say like, Hey, like, you know, this kid's 20. This kid just turned 20. Yeah. We would, we would like, we have him for the next three years. We would like to see what he does in those three years. Like we're, we're not in a rush and it's, it's game. It's game 10 of the season. (laughs) Like we're, we're not going to kill ourselves. Like getting, uh, getting rid of, of Seku Dumbuya. So, yeah. All right, Ben. So the Pistons play Milwaukee on Wednesday. We'll be the bucks again. God, weird. Oh my gosh. At least it's not one of the subway series again. So I play the Bucks on Wednesday, the Wizards on Friday. That'll be the tank battle extraordinaire. And then uh, at the Heat on Saturday. So back to back between uh Miami and, and Washington. Uh, Miami's having COVID troubles right now. The uh the game between the Heat and the uh Celtics just got postponed. And so I'll be be keeping an eye on that to see uh how that affects the Pistons schedule. But uh yeah, between the Bucks, Wizards, and Heat. Do, ben, do the Pistons play a close game this week? Uh, you know, I would say the Wizards because they had they just lost uh, their starting center as well, and I'm, his name is escaping me. Bank is it Thomas Bank? Bryant. Bryant. Okay, thank you. I lost his name all of a sudden. But you know, Bradley Beal might score seventy the, the way he's playing <laughs> this season, and the way. Oh my gosh! So the thing about today's game, like if you look at the box score. The, the Utah guards just, they scored like 60 or 70 points between among the three of them, right? Like Mitchell, Conley, and Clarkson. So I, I feel like Bradley Beal might just, just feast. Um, but yeah, I would target the Wizards game and that Miami game. I don't know if it's going to happen just six days from now. I don't know. We'll see. But I, w- I would call the Wizards out as the potential game. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I was, uh, I was watching a little bit of the Wizards. Uh, earlier this week, I don't even remember who they were playing, but I was just like, man, 
they are so bad on yeah. defense. Yeah, and bad. so I think that uh, at least that, at the very least, will keep you um, – their their inability to prevent anyone from scoring will, will keep the, the game tight, even if Bradley Beal goes for 70, which is <laughs> entirely possible. I mean, he just yeah, – it's not that crazy. It's not that crazy a number. No, absolutely. All right, Ben, uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, your work, where they can find more uh, more in-game thoughts from your Twitter. <laughs> I tried to be nice today because I kind of I got cranky earlier this week. But at BR Galker on Twitter, love to talk Pistons. Uh, I, I don't mind Cranky Ben, <laughs> but like... I kind of, I kind of wish sometimes I could bring out Cranky Ben for the podcast, but then I get Cranky Ben and it's like, oh yeah, okay, no, you're right. This yeah. is this is a this can't be the thing all the time. No, just once in a while, once in a while. It's a it's a spice, not not the. Uh, not <laughs> there the you go. I like it. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. All right, everyone. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to y'all next week. See ya.